Thanks for listening to The Chapel Podcast. At The Chapel Church, our passion is to share the hope of Jesus to individuals, the community, and the world. Listen in as Pastor Brandon Joyner shares an encouraging and challenging message from God's Word. But here we are this morning in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5 and 6, as we continue our study through the Hall of Faith. Now, as many of you know, before moving to North Carolina, I had spent my previous 10 years in ministry serving and working with teenagers. And throughout that time, I had the opportunity to have conversations with many teenagers as well as their parents. So this is not just a teenage thing. This is a everyone thing. (laughs) But I had opportunity to have conversations with many of them who really did want to please God. And praise the Lord, I think that many of us here this morning fall into that category, that we want and have a desire to please the Lord. But some of them felt anxious because there were times where they felt that they were just not doing enough. They felt crippled because they wrestled with what seemed to them to be a long and growing list of things that they had to do, things that they had to accomplish in order to please God. There's just so many things I have to do, they would say. And I feel like I'm not really doing any of them well, right? Anybody, including me, right? I raised my hand to this, ever felt that way? (laughs) And I feel like I'm just not doing any of them well. I got to avoid sin, produce the fruit of the Spirit, be good worker, be selfless, serve others, And I feel like the list goes on and on. And I feel like there's no way that I can actually do these things and please God. But I want to. So what do I do? To make matters worse, because that's what preachers do, right? They make matters worse before they make them better. Do you know how many imperatives or commands there are given in the New Testament? There's about 1,800 commands that are given to us. I don't know about you, but I'm really, really bad at multitasking. Uh, You can ask my wife. I'll be doing something, and she starts talking to me, and I'm like, I really don't know what you're saying because I'm doing this other thing. I'm focused on this other thing. And so I really cannot even listen to you right now. For me, give me one or two commands at a time because that's really all that I can handle, to be honest with you. So I have a question for you this morning. How well do you think that somebody like me, or any of us really, because 1,800 is a lot of commands, how well do you think that we would do if our approach to living the Christian life were to constantly keep in mind all of the 1,800 commands that were given in the New Testament? Which, by the way, that's not even to consider the Old Testament. There's a lot of other commands in the Old Testament that we then have to consider their context and see whether or not uh, they were for Israel during a time before Christ and whether or not they apply to us now. That's not even to consider the Old Testament, but how how would we do if our focus in living our Christian life were to, man, I just got to do it all. How would we do? Yeah, spoiler alert, bad. (laughs) Not good at all. And as Pastor Brandon has already mentioned in this study, that is the view of Christianity that the Jews had during the time that Hebrews was written. That was their view of how to please God. By this time in history, Judaism had become a system of keeping the rules. 
And the author of Hebrews writes this letter to say to the Jews, that's why it's called Hebrews, he's writing it to the Jews to say, listen, there is a much better way, namely Christ. And as he gets to Hebrews chapter 11, he writes to them to show them that the example of even the patriarchs has not been an example of keeping the law, but it has always been an example of faith in the promises of God. So in Hebrews 11, he shows them example after example that salvation has never been a matter of law, but faith. And last week, Pastor Brandon laid out for us our first example of faith. By faith, Abel worshipped God. We know from Genesis chapter 4 that Abel's sacrifice was accepted while Cain's was not. Well, what made Abel's sacrifice better than Cain's? Well, it was Abel's faith. Abel offered a sacrifice out of faith, while Cain most likely offered his sacrifice out of obligation. This is just something I've got to do. Here, God, here's my stuff. But, but by faith, Abel desired to please God, to worship God. And so because of his faith, his offering was acceptable. And so we come to our second example of faith this morning. Let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For, you for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Abel, in Hebrews chapter 11, is an example of how to enter into a relationship with God by faith. And Enoch continues that example. He is not just the example of how to enter a life of a relationship with God, but how to maintain and to live a lifestyle that pleases God. How do I please God? Well, there's not anything you can necessarily do. There's no work you can do. Do these five things, or in the New Testament's case, do these 1,800 things, and you'll please God. But you can please God by faith. By faith, Abel offered a sacrifice, and it pleased God. And by faith, Enoch lived his life, and he pleased God. Now, Enoch, that's the kind of life that I want to live. What does the Bible say about Enoch? That he lived and that pleased God. And so what we want to consider this morning is, what is it about Enoch's life that pleased God? So we're going to take a look this morning at a man that you might not know a lot about, that frankly none of us know that much about, <laughs> because there aren't that many passages that speak about him. But according to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5 and 6, Enoch's life instructs us in three ways. Number one, this passage shows us what the reward for faith is. It shows us Enoch's reward for faith. Number two, it shows us Enoch's lifestyle of faith and doesn't just tell us that you can be rewarded for your faith, but shows us how to live by faith. And third, Enoch gives some instructions to us of how to live this kind of life of faith. 
And so first, we're going to take a look at Enoch's reward for faith. Hebrews chapter 11, starting in the first part of verse 5, says, By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found, because God had taken him. Now, I would say that that's a reward, (laughs) that he was living his life, and one day God said, you know what? I want him close to me. And he reached down, he picked up Enoch and brought him right into his presence, and he didn't even see death. The word that is used for taken here in Hebrews means this. It means to affect a change of location in space with the implication that the two, the two spaces, are significantly different. And I would say that Enoch's life on earth was significantly different than his life in the presence of the Lord. (laughs) And God reached down and literally grabbed Enoch and said, I'm going to take you out of that world and bring you into my presence. His reward, he did not even experience death. He says in Hebrews 11, 5a, that Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. The word for see there means he did not even experience it. He didn't observe it. He didn't have to go through it. So if we're going to see how significant it was for Enoch to be taken from his life on earth into the presence of the Lord, we have to go back to Genesis chapter 5, which is where Enoch is first mentioned. So let's go back to Enoch chapter 5, keeping your place there in Hebrews chapter 11. Now, Hebrews chapter 5 is a very interesting passage and a very unique passage. Uh, Most preachers call it the death chapter. Because, as we'll see in just a moment, as you read through Genesis chapter 5, you see Adam's legacy of death. So let's let's take a look at Genesis chapter 5, which gives us insight into the world in which Enoch lived. Genesis chapter 5, we'll begin in verse 1, and we're not going to read through the whole thing. We just want to see what's the pattern of Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5, it says this. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God, and he created them male and female, and he blessed them and called them mankind in the day that they were created. And Adam lived 130 years, and he begot a son in his own likeness and after his image, and named him Seth. So as we're about to see, the passage of Genesis chapter 5 really has two main purposes. One is to show us the fulfillment of the promise of the Messiah that comes through the line of Seth. And so the legacy of Seth is that through Seth, the Messiah would come. But it also serves another purpose. As it says in verse 1, that this is the genealogy of Adam. And we also see Adam's legacy. And Adam's legacy is a legacy of death. It says in verse 4 that after he begot Seth, after Adam begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years and he had sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. And Seth lived 105 years and he begot Enosh. And he begot Enosh and Seth lived 107 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. And Enosh lived 90 years, and he begot Canaan. And after he begot Canaan, 
Enosh lived 815 years, and he had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. And so Genesis 5 continues on in this way. And so-and-so begot so-and-so, and he had sons and daughters, and he lived this many years, and then he died. Actually, as you read through Genesis chapter 5, you see that everyone mentioned dies. That's the legacy of Adam. That the genealogies of Adam die. Why? Because of Adam's choice to disobey God. So every single person, except for Noah, obviously, because uh, Genesis chapter 6 picks up with the life of Noah, but every single other person in Genesis chapter 5 dies, except for one guy. And as you're reading through Genesis 5, it's jarring. Because as you get to Genesis chapter 5, in verse 18, you read this. That Jared lived 162 years, and he begot Enoch. And after he begot Enoch, Jared lived 108 years, and he had sons and daughters. And so all the days of Jared were 962 years, and you guessed it, he died. Enoch lived 65 years, and he begot Methuselah. And after he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years. And he had sons and daughters, and so all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and, but wait, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now let's move on to Methuselah. <laughs> Every single person dies, except for Enoch. Now that's significant. And God, through the inspiration of his word, is trying to tell us something very significant. Not only did every, everyone in Genesis chapter 5 die, but look at Genesis chapter 6, where it picks up with the life of Noah. And it tells us that in the days of Noah, and we're not going to read all of it for sake of time, but you can look there and see it. But in the days of Noah, that every thought of every imagination of every man was only evil continually, and because of that, God comes down and he tells Noah, Noah, I want you to build an ark. And through that ark, I will save you and your family and everyone else will die. As you read through the genealogies, you see that Enoch is the great grandfather of Noah. So in what kind of world did Enoch live? Well, Enoch lived in a world where he was surrounded by death. Enoch lived in a world where he was surrounded by wickedness. So wicked that God in judgment destroyed everyone except for Noah and his family because they had faith. And we'll see that next week. But for this week, we'll focus on Enoch. Everyone on earth dies. Why? Because of their choice to be evil and wicked. And we'll talk a little bit more about that choice later on, but sometimes we can get focused in our day that it's difficult to live for God. You know, it's just, it's just so tough to live for God. Because look at the world around us. Look at whenever we turn on the TV, what is shoved down our throats. Look at all the things that society wants to force us to think and believe. They want to try, but because we have faith, uh, we hold to the truths of Scripture and the Word of God. And sometimes we're tempted to think, man, it's impossible to live a life 
that pleases God in this kind of culture. Well, Enoch stands out as a rebuke to us. Because Jesus says about Noah's day, and by Noah's day, Enoch's day as well, in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 37, that as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. What does Jesus tell us? He tells us there's two periods of history where the most wicked people will live. And that's the time of Noah and right at the end before Jesus comes back. And so Jesus tells us things were as bad for Enoch as they are for us or worse. (laughs) Because as you read the scripture, you have to come to the conclusion that Jesus will either come back really, really soon or things will get much worse. So Enoch lived in a day where things were just as evil as today or worse. And so when we recognize that, it becomes significant that he lived in that kind of world, lived a faithful life, and God observed his life and said, you know what? I'm going to take him into my presence because he pleases me. He did not experience death because he lived a life of faith. So what was Enoch's reward for faith? His reward for faith was the same as your reward for faith. Enoch was saved from death. Why? Because he lived a life of faith. Now Enoch is very significant as well because he was saved from death right before universal judgment. Does this sound familiar to you, to any future events? That right before God judges everyone who's wicked in all the earth, that he looks down and he observes a life and he says, that person is faithful and says, you know what? Into my presence before everyone is judged. Enoch is an example to us of the way that God saves. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 10, Jesus speaking to the church in Philadelphia says, because you have kept my commands to persevere. Now the church in Philadelphia, again, like Enoch, stands out in Revelation chapter 3 as a sore thumb, in a positive way though. If you're reading Genesis chapter, or Revelation chapter 3, you see that Jesus is communicating to the churches. And every church, the pattern is this, to the church at wherever, wherever city, You have done this, and that's good, but I have somewhat against you. And that pattern repeats in Revelation chapter 3 until you get to the church in Philadelphia. In the church of Philadelphia, Jesus communicates that you are a faithful church. And despite all the world around you, you have chosen to be faithful to me and to my word. And because of that, because you've been faithful, you've kept my commandments— I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Jesus says to this church in Revelation chapter 3 that the world is a wicked place, but because of your faithfulness, you will be kept from it. That word from is a Greek word which is a marker of dissociation, which means that when Jesus says that I will keep you from it, what he's saying is that I will keep you, I will preserve you by disassociating you or making you independent 
from the events. I will take you away from the events. Well, where do the events occur? They occur upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. And so we see from the very beginning until the very end of history, what does God reward? He rewards faithfulness. We see Paul speak about this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17 and 18. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus shall we always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. The words that Paul uses for caught up means to grab by force with the purpose of removing from. And so Enoch is an example of faith, faithful living in a corrupt society that God rewards by taking directly into his presence. By faith, Enoch was spared from death, and by faith, the church, the church that endures to the end will be saved from the judgment that will come upon the whole world. That might be us. It might be a future generation, but regardless, the promise for us is the same. God rewards a life of faith. For those that are in Christ, they will be saved from eternal death. And so even if it's not us, in that moment of death, it becomes life to us. We don't desire death, Paul says, but we desire to be saved or delivered from what? From this body which is dying. And so what is the reward for faith? It is to be saved from death and to be brought into the presence of the Lord. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Enoch lived in a very similar day, if not worse, than ours. And like Enoch, we are called to live a consistent, faithful life. And so Enoch is our example. And we're called to live a life of faith all the way to the end. And it is that life of faith that pleases the Lord. Now you might say, well, that still hasn't really answered the question for me. <laughs> what is it about Enoch's faith that pleased the Lord? And that begs the question, how can I live so that it pleases the Lord? Well, second, we must look at Enoch's lifestyle of faith. Going back to Hebrews, but also keeping your finger in Genesis 5. Back to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 5. It says, By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. He had a testimony. He had a lifestyle that he pleased God. To give us insight into what the writer of Hebrews means by that word testimony, which gives us a huge insight into the way Enoch lived his life, uh, what does he mean by the word testimony? We see that Luke also uses this word for testimony in Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, verse 22, it says, So all bore witness to him, him being Jesus. So all bore witness to Jesus, and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? 
The word for testimony in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 5 is the same exact word that is translated bore witness in Luke chapter 4 and verse 22 in reference to Jesus. One way that uh, translators translate that word is approved. Testimony or bore witness or approved. Those are all valid translations. And so what is the writer of Hebrews communicating about Enoch's life that pleased God? Well, God looked at Enoch's life like the people in Luke chapter 4 looked on Jesus' life and approved. God literally looked at Enoch's life and said, hey, everybody, throughout history, I'm going to take him into my presence. Why? Because I want you to know that this is what I approve of. This. That still doesn't answer the question. What did he see in Enoch? (laughs) That he looked at him and said, now this is the way to live. Well, again, let's go back to Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5, starting in verse 20, says, All the days of Jared were 962 years, and he he died. And Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. And after he begot Methuselah, here it is, Enoch walked with God. What was it about Enoch's life that God looked at and said, that's the way to live? It was the fact that Enoch walked with God. Well, how did Enoch walk with God? You don't have to go back there, but you can. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, it says that he walked with God diligently, which means that he gave special attention to his relationship with God. Of all the things in the world and of all the things that were going on, what Enoch cared about the most was, I want to know and I want to experience the presence of God. Now that's significant because that is an echo back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. That is an echo back to what man lost. In Genesis chapter 2, God creates man. And what does God do with man? Well, God comes down and he walks with man. Until we get to Genesis chapter 3. And the serpent comes to Eve, and what does the serpent say? The serpent says, Has God said that you're going to die? Here's what God's afraid of. God is afraid that you're going to take of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He's afraid that you're going to eat it. He's afraid that you're going to experience what he knows. He's afraid that you won't need him anymore. He's afraid that you'll become gods. Take of the fruit and do what is right in your own eyes. You don't need to walk with God. Walk with yourself. What do Adam and Eve do? They say, you know what? Walking without God seems pretty good. I want to do what is right in my own eyes. And so they take of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they eat it and die. 
and everyone else does that. Even through the line of Seth, right? Through the line of Seth, God preserves the seed of a son. Ultimately in Noah, which gets passed down ultimately to Christ. But he preserves a seed of a son, but everyone does what is evil in their own eyes and does wicked continually in Genesis chapter 6. That includes many of the sons and daughters of Seth. Everyone chooses this except for Enoch. He's the first one that says, you know what? I don't want any of what they have. I just want to walk with God. I want what Adam had. And here we get to the heart of Christianity. What does God want from you? What pleases God? Well, God made man so that man could be in his presence. What pleases God? What pleases God is to live like Enoch lived. What pleases God is that you desire the presence of God in your life. Enoch had a close and precious walk with God. And God looked at his life and he said, everyone, I'm going to take him in straight into my presence. Why? Because I want everyone to know this is how to live. He had a close and precious walk with God. Who knows what God revealed to Enoch? You know, the Enoch was a prophet, and like Noah, he preached of coming judgment. He even named his son Methuselah, which Methuselah is a compound word name, which means that when he dies, it shall be sent. And what does Enoch go about his life preaching about? Well, we know what he goes about his life preaching about in Jude chapter, or not chapters only, there's only one chapter in Jude, but verse 14, or Jude 14. But Jude 14, it says, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them, of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. What did Enoch preach about? He preached about coming judgment. What did God reveal to Enoch? He revealed to Enoch that your son is the marker. When he dies, what happens? Well, if you do the math, in the year that Methuselah died, the flood came, and God wiped out the wicked. Not only that, it's interesting that God revealed to Enoch, according to Jude 14, not just the coming flood, but the coming judgment of all the world. He says that, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints. Did the Lord come with 10,000 of his saints during the flood? No, he sent the flood. Where else in the Bible does it say that the Lord will return with the saints to execute judgment on the ungodly? In the final judgment. It seems as if Enoch's walk with God was so close and so intimate that maybe God revealed the timeline of history to Enoch. He had, I mean, he walked with God 300 years. God had a lot of time to explain these things to him. And Enoch had a, such a close walk with God 
But Enoch knew a lot of biblical truth, which tells us no wonder he had a life of faith. But how did he get that knowledge? He got that knowledge because he diligently sought God. Enoch's life was a life of walking with the Lord by diligently seeking him, and through his testimony, we are encouraged to live our life in the same way. Does God want you to keep all 1,800 commands in the New Testament? Yes. <laughs> but because you want to, because you love him, because you want to be in his presence, and it becomes a lot easier to keep a command when you love the person you're keeping it for. You know, I'd explain to our teenagers in Wisconsin that, you know, I can view my marriage in one of two ways. <laughs> I can view it in, I love my wife, and therefore, I will keep the commands of marriage. Because I want to, because I love her. Or, I can view it, and this would make a disaster of my life. <laughs> I can view it this way. Man, I got all these rules, but if I keep them, I guess I have a good marriage. Can you imagine me coming home and saying, Janie, I didn't, I didn't cheat on you today. And she says, why? And she says, and I say, well, I wanted to, but I was keeping the rules. Can you imagine how my life would be, how my marriage would be? It would be a disaster. <laughs> what does she want from me? She wants me to love her. What does God want from you? He wants you to love and be in a relationship with him. And so Enoch shows us the way to live by faith. And Enoch, according to the author of Hebrews, also lastly gives us instructions for faith. If you look down in verse 6, the writer of Hebrews gives us a couple deductions from the life of Enoch. He says, first of all, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Without Enoch's kind of faith, you can't please God. You're just trying to keep the rules, can't please God. You must believe that he is. Without faith, you cannot please God. So how do you please him? For he who comes to God, he who approaches God, like Enoch, he who comes into the presence of God, must believe that he is. What does that mean? Does it mean that you just kind of acknowledge that God exists? No. Last year, Pastor Brandon went through a study in the book of James, and James tells us, like, he tells us that if you believe that God just merely exists, you give mental acknowledgement of that fact, good for you. <laughs> the devils believe also in trouble. That doesn't really matter. What is the writer of Hebrews getting across? Well, the Hebrew word that he uses for believe means to trust, to rely on, to depend on. You must rely on, relationally trust in who he is. You must believe what that he is. You must rely on everything God says he is. The word that he uses for is means to possess certain characteristics. So you must rely on the characteristics of God. Well, what does God say about himself? And the writer of Hebrews is really excited that you asked that because he tells us exactly what God says about himself 
in Hebrews chapter 1. This is the whole reason that he writes this letter. If you go back to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1, he says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. The way that the writer of Hebrews starts his letter is, this is who God is, this is what we're believing, because this is what God says about himself. God has spoken, is the very first sentence of Hebrews. And what has he spoken? He's spoken to us in these last days by his Son. He speaks through Jesus, and what he communicates is that Jesus is the heir of all things, that Jesus made the worlds, that Jesus is the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, that Jesus in his sovereignty upholds everything by the word of his power. And when he had made him, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of God and the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent promise than they. Now that's a long sentence. From verse 1 to verse 4 is all one sentence. This is what God has said about himself. And in these last days, the culmination, the climax of all of God's communication is Jesus, who is the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, and through his blood has purchased all things, and who gives you access into the presence of God, just like Enoch had, because of his blood. And now... He is the king. Now he sits down at the right hand of the majesty on high and is better than everything. As we said, the people to whom the writer or the author of Hebrews is writing are Jews who believe that they can keep the law and please God. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, no, it has never been by the law. It has always been by faith believing, trusting, relying on what God says about himself. And not only must you believe that he is, but you must also trust that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So you've got to believe two things. If you want to have faith, if you want to live a life of faith like Enoch believed, there's two things, three things really, don't think you can do it by the law because you can't. You must have faith. Without faith, you can't please him. Number two, you must rely on what he says about himself. And number three, you must rely and trust on the fact that he will reward you like he rewarded Enoch. Well, how did he reward Enoch? Well, we've already observed Enoch was saved from death. And like we mentioned we might be in the generation that if we are faithful like the Church of Philadelphia, God will bring us straight into his presence. We might be, but even if we're not, the reward is still the same. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. What is your reward? Being in the presence of God. So how can I please God to go all the way back to the beginning? You can please God by desiring to have a relationship with him 
diligently seeking to know him and walking with him by faith.